This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. If you enjoy this NPR podcast, please consider subscribing. Our podcasts are available on all major podcasting platforms. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify, as well as the accessmedia.nz app. Hi and welcome to this week's show of Property Matters. I'm Greg Watson and Property Matters is the show where we try to fit in as much of real estate news and interest as we can within this relatively short show. So today we're going to be talking about some uh, interesting houses that you could buy in Auckland or Wellington and plus one of the homes from Stranger Things has come up for sale uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. We'll look a bit at the what's happening with the market and what's happening with house prices, and then just see how we go and what else we can fit in. First of all, this article, uh, and it's quite interesting this article came out because I was uh, doing a search just recently for the cheapest homes in Auckland. This article talks about, and this is from Emily Clark Dell on stuff.co.nz, it says, the cheapest Auckland homes will set you back just $149,000. Yes, it's true. And Trade Me figures released in September put the average asking price of an Auckland property at $1.127 million. But for those trying to get on the property in the more affordable way, there are some cheaper options. So the cheapest standalone house listed on Trade Me is a tiny home currently parked at the beach of Murawai, being sold for a humble $149,000, just 13% of the average asking price. Now, the article by Emma Clark Dell has a photo of it, it actually looks pretty cool. CoreLogic uh, uh, had, uh, had looked at this as well, but we'll go, sorry, I'll come back to CoreLogic in a minute. First of all, we'll stick on this one with uh, Trade Me. Uh, so this house has got a f- floor space of 30 square metres with one bedroom and one bathroom. The home's fully insulated, double glazed, steel framed and is complete with a deck. Looks like a mini version of an older home is, is what it looks like, of a... Uh, turn of last century home. It's really charming. There's a small fireplace, a kitchen island and stairs leading to a mezzanine bedroom which fits a double bed and two sets of drawers. The seller of the tiny home is giving the buyer the option to truck away or negotiate with the landowner to stay put which is bound to hike the price behind the $149,000 mark. So I also noticed um, some more central city ones when I was looking but this article talks about it too. It says living in an apartment is also an option. With the cheapest freehold apartment on Trade Me being sold for $149,000. What do you get? One bedroom, one bathroom furnished apartment located on White Street in Auckland CBD, and it's more or less 38 square metres. It's quite a basic setup a small living, area, living and dining area, separate bedroom and bathroom, and it boasts what they're calling a generous north facing balcony. So most of TradeMe's cheapest rental listings were homes being sold for removal, and there's a whole huge amount of those uh, that pop up when you look at uh, at the cheap uh, cheaper end of the market. So I've just gone and uh, dropped my notes there for a second. <laughs> but moving on, uh, if you are at the other end of the scale, here's a property being sold in Auckland for $2.4 million, a character masterpiece 
Auckland villa where the owner was buried in concrete. And this by Jonathan Killick. Uh, a Mount Eden villa where a body encased in concrete was found during renovation is up for sale. It's marketed as a character masterpiece. This is also on stuff.co.nz, a really nice looking home. According to the listing, the rateable value of the house is $2.4 million, but the agent Louise de Martin of Sotheby's International was tight-lipped about what she expected it would fetch at auction next month. It won't be for everyone, but it's a great opportunity. You can't beat the location, de Martin said. The listing described it as an immaculately restored turn-of-the-century character house that makes your heart flutter, but the property hit the headlines in 2020 when contractors undertaking a restoration found a block of concrete in a sealed-off room beneath the house. Oh, that's creepy. They later discovered the concrete contained human remains. The deceased was David Stanley Hart, a former owner of the property who ran it as a boarding house. At the time, the police said the death was being treated as suspicious, but the case remains cold. Pretty strange, that one. So, De Martin said she was very conscious of the property's history, but it was now a beautifully renovated family home. She says it's been blessed and there's a beautiful energy around it. She said there were no more literal skeletons in the closet. Everyone can be comfortable that the forensic work was completed and has gone through all the process to restore it for its former glory. And the room where the body was found has been completely removed. So that's uh, what it begs a question. Would you buy a house where there's been a dead body? I mean, it must happen all the time, I guess, in terms of just people passing away. But something like that. Oh, it's strange. <laughs> Goodness me, a separate little room with uh, somebody encased in concrete. That's uh, something you might see in a horror film. I don't know what all the ins and outs are. That's all the information I have about that. Now, from occasionally we bring up uh, properties in Wellington that are rare to come across. And this is a rare chance to grab the stunning, a stunning Evans Bay boat shed for summer, according according to Colleen Hawkes from stuff.co.nz. So it's not often you get a chance to own a little slice of Wellington waterfront with the water literally lapping on your doorstep. But one of the 15 boat sheds suspended above the water on Evans Bay Parade has been listed for sale and it's a real beauty that's drawing a lot of interest. There's been just one open home so far but 30 groups came through, said Mitch Agnew of Bailey's Wellington. 30 groups in a boat shed, that would have been a very crowded boat shed. Uh, we've been inundated with inquiries, Agnew says. These boat sheds don't come on the market very often. Bailey sold another one here three years ago in a hotly contested auction and it went for $350,000. This boat shed, however, is new. Agnew says the original shed on site was just 25 square metres, but the owner replaced it with an architecturally designed, much newer build. It has been built with the best of materials, fully lined in hardwood ply, with queeler on the deck and a boat ramp. And you, While we can't live in it, you can, I guess, have a bit of luxury. There's a Villeroy and Bosch bathtub already in place, and other quality fittings, including a toilet, vanity, ready to be ex- installed. So the owner did have grand plans, the shed is consented for plumbing. No expense has been spared, and being able to complete the high standard of finishing is the icing on the cake. The owner is very proud of it, but he hadn't used it. Man, to have all that money just to, to have something not being used, and he's decided it's surplus to requirements. So it's now 94 square metres, including the ramp. The shed is big enough to accommodate all the family's toys, be they jet skis, kayaks, sailboards, a small runabout or yacht, not to mention a picnic table and seating for family and friends, either inside or out, on the wide jetty. So that could be certainly something to have a look at if you're looking for 
uh, something a little bit different in the real estate scheme of things to have a look at that. So it's interesting. For that price, what do you get? Well, it's not actually a freehold title. The buyer gets a license to occupy that's renewed every 10 years, and therefore it's hard to know what people will buy for this. So it's going to be auctioned off, set down for the 8th of December 2022, and we'll just see what happens there. So we'll see where that goes. Now this more in, we'll move to the house that was on the Netflix series Stranger Things. And it says here that the, the creepy Creel house from Stranger Things could be yours for $2.6 million. If you're a diehard stra- fan of Stranger Things, you're in for a treat. The Creel house that features predominantly in the fourth series of the Net, uh, Netflix sci-fi series, it's hit the market for a cool $1.5 million US, which is $2.6 million New Zealand. Now it's a Victorian-style mansion, two, story, two to three stories high. In the TV series, it was all dilapidated, oh, I don't know, what, what dilapidated, broken down, that sort of stuff. But in reality, it's uh, in tip-top condition. So where is it? It's actually in Rome, Georgia, US. It's a seven-bedroom, seven-bathroom Victorian-style mansion. It's in prime condition, unlike the series where it was shown to be in a derelict state. In the Stranger Things, if you don't know, that's uh, based in the 1980s Indiana, and it focuses on a group of friends who come face-to-face with supernatural forces and seek to unravel a number of mysteries. So the fourth season sees the main characters having a good look through the home while flashbacks from the property from the 1950s play on screen. So it's pretty pretty impressive looking. You can find a picture of this, actually. This is on stuff.co.nz, an article by Christy Johnson, and if you wanted to look up the Creel House, it's spelled C-R-E-E-L. It's a lovely looking place. Lovely indeed. Fully renovated. Moving on, one thing that's uh, occurred to me personally lately, and this is uh, just some general general thoughts, is insurance. And we've had a situation, particularly here in Manawatu Wanganui, where house prices have been increasing around 30% a year until recently, where they've uh, just dropped off a bit. Still in the last uh, two years, they're still up uh, in a total of 22%. Also building costs going up and all those sort of things means the costs of repairing or replacing a home are now a lot dearer than they used to be. So this article from oneroof.co.nz's Nikki Preston says, insurance warning, risk that homeowners could be hit with a huge bill if disasters strike says that homeowners could be left severely out of pocket if their house burns down or is destroyed in a flood and the amount of their house is insured for less than the skyrocketing cost to replace it. With building costs rising well above the annual inflation rate and prices for construction of a new house in September increasing by 17%, according to Statistics New Zealand, a considerable number of Kiwis may be faced with covering the shortfall to replace their house if it's damaged by disaster. And the number of people who are underinsured is quite high. A recent survey by CoreLogic revealed about a third of respondents are not confident their property is adequately insured. Insurance Council of New Zealand spokesperson Christian Judge said people should check their insurance policies and specifically whether the sum the property is insured for will actually cover the cost of replacing the property. The sum insured is the maximum amount a homeowner will be paid out by their insurance company in the event of a total loss, such as something like an earthquake or other natural disaster. 
Some insurance policies will simply shell out the cost of replacing the property in certain circumstances, but in other cases they'll only pay up to some insured, so it's important to check out those details. The easiest way for you to work out the replacement cost is to use an online calculator, which most major insurers have, to give a good idea of the costs and should include things such as clearing the site, costs of consents and getting drawings done. Or in particular, if you're on a section piece of land that requires um, uh, requires landscaping in terms of if it's banked, needs retaining walls, those sorts of things. So it's really important to focus on this being what it would cost to replace it, not what you paid for it, and it's not what the house next door sold for. So that so you really should use the tools as the advice that comes through on this article. So I'll be doing that after the show, um, going back and seeing how far off I am with my insurance because, gee, you wouldn't want to get half a house back um, when just, just because all these prices have gone up. Now, insurances don't compel people to put the sum insured up. So they can just say, we think your sum insured should be this, so we're going to charge you accordingly because a consumer gets to choose what insurance they buy. So CoreLogic Chief Economist Kelvin Davidson said people who haven't reviewed their insurance for several years are likely to be underinsured, especially as some insurance companies have moved away from replacement value and only paying out the sum insured amount. So be really careful about that. Um, because if you're underinsured and you lose your house, you're probably going to have to rebuild a smaller house or a different house. So it's important to keep up with those prices. Says that the uh, Davidson also says you can actually get quite a surprising amount of extra cover for not much money. It's actually quite a cost-effective thing. He says you can easily upgrade your sum insured by a hundred thousand or two hundred thousand dollars. It doesn't necessarily cost you too much more. So there we go. It's uh, while building costs continue to grow so quickly. Davidson said people should not only use the relatively easy-to-use online insurance calculators to update their value, but also consider including a buffer, as rebuild costs is likely to change significantly within a 12-month period of the policy being renewed. Now, I've never looked at, re-looked at my sum insured for a number of years, and gee, I'd probably get a garden shed in the corner of the section with the amount that I've got, so I'm going to go and have a look at that. I'd encourage you to as well. Here's a story from the... Occasionally we have a bad tenants, bad landlord section. Now, this isn't really either... But this is nevertheless some problem that can happen for landlords and tenants. So this article from the New Zealand Herald.co.nz says, Flannel foul up. Northland tenants ordered to pay $1,000 blockage bill. Two tenants said a face cloth was flushed down the toilet accidentally and they did not expect the $1,068 bill. The tenants who said they couldn't pay a $1,000 bill after accidentally flushing a flannel down the toilet have been ordered to pay damages by the Tenancy Tribunal. Katrina Edwards and Brian Puller have to pay the bill they refused to for months, otherwise they may face eviction and the remaining debt for the broken septic tank caused by the washcloth. The Ruakakapia have been ordered to pay their letting agent rentals.co.nz the full bill of 1068 together with the tribunal filing fee and $60 instalments on top of their weekly rental payments. If they fail to make the payments, they'll be evicted in order to pay the amount up front, according to the recently released Tenancy Tribunal order. The appeal taken to the Tenancy Tribunal over the cost of repairs to the septic system 
and termination of tenancy after accidental flannel flush caused a hefty repair bill and damages. The septic pump repairs were organised by Whangarei District Council in September 2021. The repairs were necessary because Puller had inadvertently flushed the face cloth down the toilet, jamming the pump. The invoice of 1068 was issued by the council for the work and in parts in February this year and the rental agency contacted the pair to pay up. Now despite the notice, Edwards and Puller went months without addressing the bill even though the repairs had been made at the beginning of the year. In July, the rental agency issued a breach notice seeking the amount in full. Edwards and Puller, however, said the damage was accidental and told the agency they couldn't afford to foot the bill. However, this is the bit that's interesting. Although the damage was certainly accidental, it is damage beyond fear, wear and tear caused by the actions of the tenants, Tribunal Adjudicator Nicholas Blake said in the decision. The tenants are legally liable for damage and the cost of repairs is proven. Blake said there were grounds for termination of a tenancy under Section 66, ah, sorry, pardon, 56 of the Residential Tenancies Act 1986, which the landlords originally sought because of the unremedied breach. In other words, they'd given them probably 14 days to pay it and they hadn't paid it. However, in light of the fact that tenants are willing to pay the debt but simply require time to do this, my finding is that it is appropriate to make a conditional termination order. Now, you might think that this is pretty, pretty hard done by and... This is just one ruling. Now, what can happen in tenancy tribunal is you might get a ruling one way from an adjudicator and then um, the next adjudicator is not bound to make the the same decision as the previous. What's also interesting here is that it was an accident and really this is something that as landlords you can insure against. Funnily enough, tenants can also insure against uh, this sort of thing through uh, legal liability. But as a landlord, to not have to go through the battle of trying to prove a blocked drain and who caused it or and that sort of thing is actually worth some value in itself. And so many insurance companies offer no excess on drains or sanitaries. This means it takes away whose fault it is, the insurance just pays out. So where something like this happens and the damage requires plumbing work, if you are a landlord, you can have insurance that has no excess, so it doesn't matter who's caused it. The other thing is uh, it's a very hard thing to know if drains are blocked more commonly, if it's just because the tenants put a bit much paper down or something like that, or if it's a fault, some other fault. It really takes away all of that arguments, all of those arguments, responsibility, the needs to go to court and so forth. But... Uh, again, I just wanted to raise a little bit of awareness things that we've talked about insurance earlier in the show that you can actually insure against that sort of thing from happening. So what would have happened there is if the owner had no excess on drains, they could have just made the claim and the work was done. The insurance company would then uh, go and get that off the tenants. This article here is a bit of a shocker, or at least it's, I don't know if it's in a bit sensationalised or not. You have to wonder with the media sometimes. But uh, this article from stuff.co.nz by Marty Sharp says, Woman in, and inverted commas, freezing hell of housing unit issues notice to council. So she is probably, in fairness, considered a pain in the backside of various officials and departments where others might bite their tongue and bear it 
Raywin Duff speaks out. And for the last two years and 10 months, Duff, at 60, has been living in one of the 64 units at Hastings District Council's Swansea Village housing complex for seniors in Flaxmere. And over this past winter, Duff has struggled to stay warm in her cold, damp and uninsulated unit. There is an electric fan heater on the wall of the unit, but this does little more than move the cold air around. The inside temperature got down to 10 degrees over winter. The walls of her bedroom are so cold and damp that she now sleeps in her living room. Duff is on an assisted living benefit and pays $175 a week to rent the unit. It's a freezing hell in winter, she says. It's so cold it wakes me up. These units are 50 years old. They're run down, mouldy, damp and cold. We're the most vulnerable members of the community, yet we're being forced to live in uninhabitable units. Maybe they're hoping that we'll all die of pneumonia, she added. So Raywin contacted the council repeatedly to ask them to do something about the conditions. When she became thoroughly unsatisfied with the lack of action earlier this month, she issued the council a 14-day notice to remedy. A builder came to her unit recently and wrote a report noticing various faults, including rot on windowsills, dampness in walls, and concluded that the unit is old and dated, but in general works as everything should. Duff, of course, disagreed and said there was no way the unit would meet healthy home standards, which have minimum requirements for heating, insulation and moisture on rental properties. I don't really feel like we're seen as... Oh, sorry, I really feel like we're seen as a dregs of society and they don't care how we live, she said. The council's group manager, Community Wellbeing and Services, Rebecca Dinwoody, said the council's senior housing units met the healthy homes requirements or, like Duff's unit, had exemptions where improvements can't be made. So in the case of this unit, it has a concrete floor and no roof cavities. It must have a flat roof, and it remains compliant. So the units were built in the 1970s, and we're aware that while they meet the healthy home requirements, they're not to the standard we would want today. So that's a, that's a tricky thing there. Uh, there's no easy way to get around that, and uh, it's, it's a hard, tricky one. If they're providing housing, which complies, but is cold and damp, you know, what do you do about that? And that's that's a tricky one. It's not an easy, an easy fix there, apart from knocking down and uh, building something new. Meanwhile, just in some general market news, the Reserve Bank issues warnings about rising mortgage rates and falling house prices. So about 2% of all home loan borrowers are currently in negative equity, that is, they owe more than their homes are worth. But that number could rise considerably if houses fall further, the Reserve Bank says. It released its latest financial stability report, which provides an overview of the risks to the New Zealand economy and financial institutions. It said that rising household mortgage rates and increases in businesses' debt servicing costs would slow the New Zealand economy as rates rose to combat inflation. So these rising interest rates have actually cut how much people can afford to borrow to buy a home and have reduced the attractiveness of investing in residential property. Households with mortgages were likely to see the proportion of their disposable income dedicated to debt servicing increase from a low of 9 to 20% based on current mortgage rates. The number of households in financial difficulty will grow as more fixed rate mortgages reprice and could increase significantly if mortgage rates rise materially above the servicing assessment rates of around 6% that banks applied through the pandemic period. So those increases would be particularly significant for people who borrowed for a first home in the last two years. So that then, of uh, even though forced sales are extremely low at this stage, I've still managed to find an article here 
to put on stuff by Jared and Can. No money and negative equity and facing double interest costs a year after buying first home. So Travis Pidwaburski bought his first home in Lower Hutton flatmate Karen Mulholtra about 11 months ago, just as the prices peaked. Just over a year later, and their bank has told them the prices of the suburb of Wainui Amata have fallen so severely that they're now in negative equity, meaning they owe more on their home than it's worth. Their home loan interest rate will almost double when the renewal date arrives at the end of the month, jumping from 3.6% to 6.9%. With a pair of eight-year-old twins to support, Pidwebeski said his biggest fear was that it would happen next month, or what would happen next month, and whether he would be able to make ends meet. It's the anxiety of what's going to happen because my pay isn't going up. I just don't know what's going to happen, he said. Pudwebeski, who's a single father, said for the last four months he'd been budgeting for a 6% home loan interest rate in preparation for renewal. And even with that budgeting in, I'm about a week out from when I get paid and I've literally got no money. You look at the accounts and it's all zeros and that's without any additional expenses. I have fees from the kids' activities and stuff that they're chasing me for. I'm missing payments. I'm in a pretty bad place, basically. Pidwebeski is a commercial contract manager and he said he could not believe he was in his situation when he was making good money. I would think I'd be living a very comfortable life right now, but I'm in this well-paid job and not able to pay the bills. He's taken on a second casual job on the weekends. He doesn't have his children. And while Mohotra has signed up as an Uber Eats driver excuse me, <coughs> to earn some extra cash. So the Reserve Bank is warning or has warned that the rising mortgage rates and falling prices will have an effect on ne- negative equity, as I mentioned in the article I, uh, I let uh, mention just a bit earlier. So, so that's tough, tough going. And um, the if you are in a situation where you're heading that way, um, best, I believe, to just try and hang in there because property prices will stabilise and start going back up again. But uh, just the interest rates, that's the tough thing because as they go up, it actually come off a fixed rate and there are some massive changes there and for some people it really is significant indeed. And on that note, which is not a happy note, I do enjoy, hope that you have enjoyed the show. It's been lovely having your company here on Manawatu People's Radio. Te reo irirangi o nga tangata o Manawatu and I'm Greg Watson. You can find these shows wherever all good podcasts are found or on MPR, Manawatu People's Radio, MPR. Thanks for listening and we'll catch up with you next week. If you're enjoying this podcast in Manawatu, you could make your very own just like this one. NPR exists to help people like you tell your story or share your passion on air and online. Check out npr.nz for more information. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate.